Support for Health Matters on MSPR comes from the Northeast Kentucky Area Health Education Center, located at St. Clair Healthcare in Moorhead. Additional information on the Northeast AHEC is available online at neahec.org. Hello and welcome to Health Matters. I am your host and radio health evangelist, Dr. Tony Weaver. This is the No Mask, No Gloves, No Service show. And before we start, I want to remind you, take a deep breath. We will get through this show. We will get through this show together. Now say it with me. We, we will get, get through, through this, this show. show. We, will we will get, get through, through this show together. Thanks together. to our listeners at True Talk Internet Radio and a special radio wave to the folks at the Ronald G. Eaglin Space Science Center. My co-medical hosts are here with me to discuss the issues of the day. First of all, from the University of Kentucky Physician Assistant Program, Assistant Professor Shelley Irving. Hi, Shelley. Hello. And also to explain to you how you can access Health Matters, how you can spread the disinformation far and wide on the Internet, the Executive Director of Networking and Infrastructure from the University of Kentucky, Rick Phillips. Hey, Rick. Hey, Tony. You know you can get the audio of the show at WMKY.org. That's right, the Morehead State Public Radio website. You can find Health Matters in their menu. Go there. You'll see a list of shows. Find the show you want, and there you will get a link to the audio of the show. You can listen to it over and over. You can download it to your device, play it in your car, stream it on whatever it is you want to stream it on, or you can sign up for the podcast and have it delivered to you automatically about four days after it airs on uh, uh, locally. So you've heard the show. Now you want to interact with the show. You go to facebook.com slash show, and there you will find a fan page for Health Matters. You can leave some feedback, leave some comments, ask some questions, read some of the previous stuff on there. Um, maybe it's a good good time to ask a question about something that's related to all the stuff we're dealing with these days in this, this crazy world we live in now. Um, certainly, it's your way to interact with the cast and crew of Health Matters, and you can find that again at facebook.com slash show. Our sponsor... COVID safety, to beat this virus and make it sob, avoid a mob when you're not on the job. Pretty good. Just that simple. I mean, uh, the CDC has said, well, it's not transmitted aggressively through uh, contact. Now, it can certainly, I mean, any virus can be transmitted from doorknobs, from people sneezing on a surface and you touching the surface or touching your nose. But that's not why we are in this mess. This virus travels through the air. The more people who have it, the closer they're together, the longer they stay together, the more trouble you're in. So what you do, if you have to be in a busy place, get in and get out. If you don't have to be in a busy place, don't be in a busy place. And, and this comes from Health Matters, if you can get outdoors... That is a safer place to be than indoors, at least for the foreseeable future. So we are here to help you get outdoors safely. First of all, car crash numbers have dropped precipitously. Crime rates have dropped. We are doing good things, but let's not get outdoors and then wind up in the emergency room. So today, we are talking about swimming safety. First of all, if you do go swimming, you're probably not going to go swimming in a public pool with a lifeguard. Nope. Just not going to happen. Or without a lifeguard, for that matter. (laughs) So wherever you swim, you're going to have to be smart about it. You're going to have to take care of your children or the people who are with you uh, and make sure that they have a safe uh, experience. So we went back, back in time. uh, I think I picked this up around 2012 and modified it, but uh, we're back now to our Health Matters Top 10 
swimming pool safety tips. And I'll say swimming safety tips because I think a lot of people will be swimming in places that they're not used to swimming in because of the closure of public pools. So tip number one, children need to learn to swim. And especially in the middle of this hot summer weather, children will need to be swimming. The American Academy of Pediatrics has always supported swimming lessons for most children four years and older. Uh, They no longer advise against swimming lessons to younger children uh, if uh, the children seem so inclined. Tip number two, is there a lifeguard to watch the children and the adults? If there is not a lifeguard, you need to designate somebody. If the kids are swimming and everybody's drinking and nobody's watching, that is a problem. So someone should be actively watching the people who are swimming to make sure that they stay out of trouble. Number three, watch your own child or children when they're around the water. It is nice to have more than one set of eyes on children, especially if there is a pretty large crowd and we now are allowing uh, groups to get together. So please watch the children, watch the people in the water, make sure that you keep an eye on them. Don't take it for granted that they would yell if something went wrong. That's Yelling and splashing is not necessarily the the, uh, first sign that a person's in trouble. Check the drain covers, check for debris, check the environment. If you don't know the environment, if it's a lake, there could be stumps, there could be trees, there could be snags or limbs. Make sure that you look around, police this environment. Don't simply turn your kids loose without knowing what's around. Number five, diving. Check to see how deep the water is. Go in feet first every time, especially the first time. Now, if you want to do diving, if you want to dive in head first or your kids want to dive in head first uh, off the boat, you, first, you've got to check the depth of the water. You've got to check for obstacles in the water. Do not make your first entrance into the water head first. Don't dive into above ground pools. They're just not deep enough. I mean, you could pull it off. <laughs> no. No, you couldn't. No. <laughs> but, but no. you know, I, just, just why? Why would you do that? Well, the cool thing is... You know, the bad thing is for the guys is there will be a story and possibly an interested woman at the end of that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, that's what we do. We do stupid things to impress women, and that's one way that you can do that. Now, we got to say you shouldn't do that. Right. There is no better and no worse place to impress women than while swimming. Right. And only the ones that survive get the girl. <laughs> but that's the whole point. <laughs> how, how close can you get to not surviving? <laughs> because that's where you win respect, I guess. I don't know. Uh, don't dive into the shallow end of a pool. Never dive through inner tubes or other pool toys, even though I guarantee you that's the funnest part of diving, mm-hmm. is to dive into a unexpectedly narrow spot. Now I'm going to stop at number six. Put the girl's hair up. Or the guys, now that none of them have been to get a haircut. <laughs> That's a good point. Just bring a bunch of scrunchies and use them liberally. Liberally, yes. Yeah, I was first in line. I couldn't take it anymore. (laughs) Well, the thing is, you know, especially young girls, they like to have that long hair, and it can go down to their waist, and it can get caught on a branch or a snag or the drain of a pool or anything underwater, and they can't make it back up. They simply can't. So if you're young child, be it male or female, has long hair, put that hair up and make sure that that's not going to catch and drown your child. That's uh, number six. These are our top 10 swimming pool safety tips that we're bringing out because it is time to go swimming, but there will probably not be lifeguards around. You have to make your own safety in this circumstance. 
Well, first thing we do, we turn to the numbers. And I'm going to read the top 10. This is as of May 25th. We go to press May 26th. I jotted these down from May 25th. At that time, the U.S. had a million six hundred thousand and change cases. Uh, we were up to around 98,000 deaths. Brazil comes in second. They have passed Russia now for second, 363,000 cases, 22,000 deaths, certainly undercounted. Russia, 353,000 cases. They said only 3,000 deaths, and that just means that Russia is not paying attention. United Kingdom is fourth at 260,000 cases, 36,000 deaths. Uh, and then Spain, 235 cases, 28,000 deaths. When you look at deaths per million population, uh, Spain, 615 deaths per million. Italy, 543 deaths per million. Sweden actually has the highest, no, I'm sorry, uh, Netherlands has the highest deaths per million. Uh, but the U.S. is setting it right now at 300 deaths per million. That's a lot of cases, and, and yet uh, when you, you think about uh, uh, the population of the United States, for instance, a million six uh, confirmed cases, we are nowhere near having the majority of our people exposed to this virus. I mean, Tony, how's this going to play out? I mean, what's going on? Are we, we going to be wearing masks for the rest of our lives? Uh, you know, it usually takes a year to 18 months. People have been saying that all along. We are still in the first wave. I mean, uh, the, both in the United States and worldwide, we are still in what they call the first wave. In Kentucky, we've done fairly well so far, the first wave, uh, but there's a lot more to go. Our governor said we're, we're going to have to have endurance. We're going to have to have patience because this will not go away. I think... You know, for many countries, the uh, tempers start to fray, the uh, unity starts to dissolve uh, because this is so difficult on the economy. So I anticipate a pretty long uh, uh, repeated episodes. Yeah, we're going to need masks. We're going to need to get good at doing the things that we're doing right now because even though we can ease up a little bit, I, I think we'll still be avoiding crowds uh, for the foreseeable future, including into the fall. So, so what's the take on this? Uh, with it getting warmer out and the heat coming on, everybody's saying that this this is not going to do well in the summer. Is that true? You know, I can't tell. Uh, I, I saw a couple of articles that said it looks like the mortality rate may be dropping some. You know, viruses do not uh, hold up very well in general uh, in humid air, and that cold, dry air is one of the reasons why we have more viral illnesses in the winter. So it might get a little better. On the other hand, coronaviruses don't really go away. And Brazil, you know, of course, Brazil's going into their fall now, but uh, it, it hits several countries uh, in uh, pretty warm temperatures and also with high humidities. And uh, uh, it, uh, it, so I don't expect it to go away in the summer. We have, it's one of the questions you've got because, frankly, if you look across the states in the United States, um, the rates dropped, the, the uh, viral rates dropped, uh, new case rates dropped. Uh, pretty much whether the state was doing a good job or a bad job. You know, we can say, well, we did a pretty good job in Kentucky, but you look at our neighboring states, and they also experienced some falling off in the rate of new cases. Looking at mortality rates per case, Belgium actually uh, is the highest at 16%, France 15.5%, uh, Italy 14%, United Kingdom 14%, Netherlands was 12.8%, I misspoke. Sweden, uh, who they've left many things open, they were uh, at 12%. The United States is down at 5.9%. So we have 
I, I mean, there's a lot of things going into that. We'll talk about it next fractional portion. Uh, we have a lower mortality rate. Of course, if you test more people, your mortality rate drops uh, because you raise the total number of cases. Uh, and uh, it also it depends on uh, how, how old your average uh, person is. If you are a country with a lot of senior citizens, you're going to have higher mortality rates. There are a lot of things that go into this other than being smarter or better than another country. So, so we clearly right now are living in a statistician's best. I mean, they, they love this stuff. They yeah, can, you, you can, can cut and dice it. and slice these numbers any way you want. They do, but the problem is with the numbers. You know, it is so hard to get good numbers. So I can cite these statistics and you can kind of see, I think one of the things is we're not, certainly we're not doing the worst, but there are countries that are doing a lot better. Um, and uh, the other thing is it doesn't seem to matter about but the type of healthcare system. Aren't there very few countries that you can compare us to just because of the size and enormity? I, I mean, guess so, Rick. But I mean, you know, you look, well, you can, you can look at an authoritarian country like China. Uh, you can look at the European countries. And we are, you know, in terms of our cases and our mortality, we're a lot like most of the European countries, which maybe that's uh, more related to our system of government than anything. We'll come back with our second fractional portion. Take a break and ponder the numbers. You're listening to Health Matters on Morehead State Public Radio. Support for MSPR comes from the Northeast Kentucky Area Health Education Center, located at St. Clair Healthcare in Moorhead. The Northeast AHEC connects students to careers, professionals to communities, and communities to better health. The Northeast AHEC strives to improve the supply and distribution of healthcare professionals through community and academic educational partnerships. More information is available online at neahec.org. Hello and welcome back. This is the second fractional portion of Health Matters. I'm Rick Phillips. I'm Shelley Irving. I'm Dr. Tony Weaver. This is the No Mask, No Gloves, No Service show. We are talking about, of course, COVID-19 because all of my medical literature... What else is there to talk about? (laughs) Well, there's a few things, but honestly, when you look at the headlines, it has crowded out just about every health issue, and I guess rightfully so. I mean, we've seen a spike in our total mortality rate coming out of this thing. So it's, uh, it is certainly the most important thing we are looking at. Our sponsor for the second time is Swimming Pool Safety. We've uh, given you our top 10 swimming pool safety tips. Just a reminder, your children do need to learn to swim. Uh, you need to check and see if there's a lifeguard or a desi- or if not, there is, should be a designated person watching the swimmers. Watch your own child as much as you can, even if someone else is designated. Check for obstacles in the swimming area. This would be drains and drain covers uh, in a uh, private pool. This would be logs, uh, underwater uh, obstacles uh, in a lake or a pond or a river where you are swimming. Uh, In terms of diving, foot first, first time, every time. Make sure the area is clear before you even consider diving in head first. Don't dive into above ground pools. Don't dive in the shallow end. And we encourage you not to dive through inner tubes or other pool toys. Just too much risk there. Neck first, something goes wrong and things go bad pretty quickly. And then six, we were talking about at the end, put the girl's hair up or put the long hair up. You do not want to get your child or your friend's hair tangled in some underwater snag or drain cover. Can, can we just say put the girly hair up? <laughs> well, that's, that, that implies a certain well, sexism, Rick, but sure, if you like it. You're not going to support me on that one? Not, you're gonna... not everybody has a choice right now, you know. Yeah. No, oh, no, true. no, no, no. Everybody has a choice. Just have a choice. I mean, you you can you can eliminate the hair problem, but you're just going to have other hair problems. 
I, I mean, uh, one of my friends, you know, literally decided, you know what, this is the perfect time to get a mohawk. And because, you know, I'm going to end up having a. There is no perfect time to get a mohawk. I, I agree, but he's convinced <laughs> that that was the right thing to do. That's <laughs> just. I, I don't. I, I, I'm, I'm just objective to that on Friend grounds. X, you know who you are, and you know we're making fun of you. <laughs> I still think the mullet's going to come back strong out of this. Well, if it is, it needs to be put up when you're swimming. Number seven, keep a charged phone close by at all times. You need to be able, if you're swimming, you need to be able to get help quickly. Not in the water with you. No, not in the water. True. Number eight, understand the basics of life-saving so you can assist in a pool emergency. This would be a good thing, although it's a little late right now to uh, learn uh, life-saving and uh, CPR. Uh, Number nine, look for life-saving equipment, life rings, reaching poles available for use. It would be nice to have such equipment if you or your friends are swimming. And then number 10, don't mess with electrical storms. If you can see it, flee it. If you can hear it, clear it, according to the National Lightning Safety Institute. Uh, and I'll add to that, don't go swimming around a dock. There is, uh, There are electrical devices in use, and you can get some charge leak into the water. Uh, every year we hear about uh, people who were electrocuted and just slipped under the surface of the water. We don't want that to happen to you or the people you love. That's our sponsor, Swimming Pool Safety. And this is a part of our overall COVID-19 safety structure to beat this virus and make it sob, avoid a mob when you're not on the job. So as we think about our recreation, as we rethink our recreation, it is time for us to get outdoors. It is time for us to go to sparse places. It is time for us to walk out of a place where there are a lot of people congregating. Now, we were talking last time about countries. I gave you the top, uh, I think I gave out the top five countries. U.S., again, leading at a million six. Brazil, 363,000 with a bullet. I mean, they are, cases there are rising fast. The government is in disarray. The health ministers have been dismissed. Say that again. So Brazil is number one. Brazil is rising. uh, Brazil is rising rapidly. They just passed Russia for number two behind the U.S., uh, at 363,000, U.S. at a million six hundred thousand. Russia is 353,000, United Kingdom 260, Spain 235, Italy 229, France 182, and Germany 180. And it goes on. Down. And these are just confirmed cases. These are total confirmed cases. Um, and uh, if you look at the mortality rate, again, if you look at the total number of cases um, and you divide the number that died into the total number of cases, Belgium tops the world, 16.2% mortality rate. France, 15.5%. Italy, 14%. United Kingdom, 14 Netherlands, 12 Sweden, 11 Spain, 11 Ireland, 65 Switzerland, 62 U.S., 59 But it's really hard to correlate these numbers until you have everybody, you know, has been tested, right? I mean, yeah. it's very difficult right. to say because right now, I mean, Belgium, for example, 16. You know, th- that number could be because... Only the sickest people got tested. Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, there was an article, uh, this was May 15th on Medscape, about that very thing, Rick. Uh, European countries have the highest infection and death rates. Asian countries lower. Canada falls in between Asia and the U.S. And they said, first of all, the extent of testing. Germany has the lowest mortality rate in Europe. But probably tested more people. Yeah, they've tested more people, among other things. Uh, The second thing they mentioned uh, countries uh, define and report the uh, deaths differently, and that changes over time. China at first had a number of criteria uh, for their first few cases, and then uh, they, they changed their definition. Uh, demographics in Hong Kong, 60% of the cases were travelers. 
So, you, you know, they right. reported it as a Hong Kong case, but it was travelers. In uh, Singapore, outbreaks in foreign workers' dormitories were 80% of all cases in Singapore. So, you know, Singapore, they get rid of the foreign workers, and all of a sudden they, they look great. Uh, European countries, France and Italy and the U.S., it's generally a nursing home and long-term care facilities. Uh, healthcare system capacity, that, that's an actual, you know, that contributes to mortality. Right. Uh, but it doesn't make the numbers look funny. It's just a, a, a fact. Um, and then uh, uh, the preparedness uh, strategy. Uh, some of these, uh, uh, they mentioned specifically Singapore, Hong Kong, China, and Canada, countries that we uh, admire in their response to uh, COVID-19. They also had to deal with SARS, which was the last coronavirus outbreak. It did not get as widespread, but it was a very lethal outbreak. So they learned about how to contain these outbreaks and how to move rapidly. Uh, so when you look at the demographics, the age, the number of people in institutions, uh, whether it's uh, native or whether it is uh, uh, people that are not native to the country, there's a lot of things that go into these numbers. And so you mentioned it's, it's great to have statistics, and we can make some generalizations. But uh, uh, the other thing is we don't really know what winning is. You know, this is still early. We're still round one, first wave. And so the country that uh, has the lowest rates the first wave may come back and have a particularly vicious second wave this fall. So it's it's really hard to know. It's also difficult to, to determine causation, right? Yes. So just because somebody tested positive for COVID, that may or may not have been the actual cause of death. Yeah, Probably that, contributed, but, I mean, that's another factor when you look at the numbers you have to really think about. If they had six other comorbidities, you know. Yeah, now the, the, the experts are saying we're probably, I hear what you're saying, but they're saying we're probably undercounting. That is, COVID uh, uh, tips over a lot of people who were maybe stable with a bunch of chronic illnesses, and they may have had a stroke, for instance. That's a, a common complication of COVID. It goes down as a death due to stroke, but it might have been a complication of the virus rather than uh, a stroke. So it's hard to know, Shelley. Like I said, uh, these, these numbers, you take them with a grain of salt, but you you know when you see patterns, when you see anomalies, you look to see if there might be a cause. And that's, as Rick said, that's what statisticians do. You try to figure out, well, what you know? how can we use this to... Uh, improve our lot. Now, among the states, the case fatality rate, that is the total number of deaths divided by the total number of cases. Pennsylvania leads the nation a 14% mortality rate. Probably not testing that much, I would guess. New Jersey, 13. Colorado, 10. Connecticut, 10. Massachusetts, 9. Missouri, 8%. Washington, 8.4%. West Virginia, 8%. Michigan, 7.9%. Ohio, 7.7%. Kentucky is way down at number 25, 4% mortality rate. Given the population we're dealing with, the rates of high blood pressure, diabetes, and lung disease. Saving lives. It, that's pretty good, again, if we're testing enough. Yeah. Um, that, that's, that's, that's really, that's pretty good, I got to say. Well, I mean, I think, wouldn't it be difficult right now for any, so if any fatality occurs right now, there's going to be a strong um, tend to want to test them to see, you know, barring a car crash or, you know, you know what I mean, you know, something like that. But but any kind of uh, fatality is going to is going to have a strong I mean, they're, they're going to get tested. And so to me, I would think that's a good number, Tony, because you would think that we're we, we know the fatalities and we know they're being tested. Yeah. And so if, it, if we weren't testing enough, our mortality numbers should be tracking very high right and they're not which means 
you know, either A, we're doing a really good job with the social distancing and keeping people from getting it, or B, we're, we're testing more people than most. Right. Mm-hmm. And so now we get a chance to see, and, and the mortality generally lags about a month behind the infections. That's how, right. how long it takes for it to, uh, to, to kill people. So now we, we we're watching our infection rate, our hospitalization rate, our mortality rates, and trying to make some sense out of it, it has been difficult. Uh, looking forward, this, this was from New Scientist. This was 29th April, but it, it had some good points I wanted to, to mention. It's, it's odd when I say 29th April, like that's really out of date at this point. That's, that's an entirely different. I can't even remember back then. That was yeah. back when I was in school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> back before you had your degree and you could think independently like you do now. Yes. Um, this was, uh, uh, but it was a comment about vaccines, uh, Maybe we could test the vaccine in August. Maybe it could be ready before the end of the year. Vaccine design expert Maria Batazzi of Baylor College of Medicine in Houston says that is unrealistic. Now, think about it. Uh, let's say one of these vaccines, it, it, it seems to be safe for people. Well, then the next thing, we have to scale it up uh, and look to see whether or not it actually prevents the disease. Well, you can't just give it and wait 24 hours. Right. You've got to follow people for several weeks and collect that data and tabulate it and look for other things that might have influenced their chance other than the vaccine to make sure that you don't wrongly report that your vaccine is successful or unsuccessful. Now, will this vaccine have to be grown similarly to the flu vaccinations, which which those they grow from eggs and they take forever? Yeah. No, I don't think so. What they're doing right now is, is, first of all, uh, the people that are making the vaccine, they were working on this thing in January. I mean, pretty much as soon as the genetic sequences of this virus was out, they started looking. So uh, we've got that. Uh, they have modified a, uh, a, a virus to basically to show some of the bits and pieces, the parts of this coronavirus, uh, and uh, to generate uh, then your body's immune response. I don't think it'll be a matter of growing on eggs, but they will have to produce it. So we've got, first of all, it takes two or three months minimum, absolute minimum, to see whether a vaccine is going to work. Uh, then secondly, if they've determined that it works, it is going to take um, several months to scale it up. Uh, the world is still looking at a year to 18 months before it will be widely available. Um, so, so I have some questions whenever you're ready. Hit me. So I, I'm tr- you know, I think most of us want to compare this to the flu, right? That's been a very common thing that's happened. So we have vaccinations for flu, but now those aren't real vaccinations in the sense that we know exactly which strain is coming. We're trying to anticipate which strains are coming. And so, for instance, I think last year there was a quadrivalent strain where we had four different strains you could get. Right. So in this particular case, this is going to be a very targeted vaccination that's going to go after this COVID strain and really not four different variants of it. Right. So there, the the what my I ultimately I'm leading to a question, Tony, is we vaccinate today for the flu. We still have forty five to fifty thousand deaths a year in the U.S. I mean, this thing we are we going to be able to stop COVID with a vaccination? Well, we think at least we could slow it down if we could get up to around a seventy five or eighty percent vaccination rate. Okay. But, but you know how many how many people don't vaccinate for the flu? <laughs> well, that's going to be the other part. Let me let me first let's talk about the logistics of it. 
And, and Rick, you have told me many times that you can solve absolutely any problem if you have enough money and enough manpower. Enough time, enough money. Yeah, we can we can yeah. send people to the well, moon. Well, we don't have time, but we have the money and the manpower. As I said, right now, the scientific community around the world, they they are flush with money, you know, for this particular purpose. There is uh, Governments will be spend billions because this will put their economies back on track. Right. So uh, uh, the 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 cost is absolutely no object. The problem is you may have to run several steps simultaneously. Ordinarily, you would test it, see if it works, see if it's safe, report those back, get it uh, uh, FDA approved. Then you would start manufacturing. What they'll probably do is start manufacturing before they know if it works and, and know, before try it's to approved. get a jump on things mm-hmm. and before yeah. it's approved. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but you've got to. I mean, I mean, b- before you even think about vaccinating people who have no symptoms and no signs of the virus, you've got to prove safety, and proving safety and having some idea of effectiveness will take months. But I guess the point of the point that I never really could kind of articulate, and maybe I still won't be able to, is the f- this is no matter how we try to compare this to the flu, we're just not going to be able to because. The flu, we never know which strain's coming through. Right. This one, we know. We know. And so... But we've never seen it before. There, In the case of the flu, and there are people who just happen to be immune, you know, on their own because they, they've seen something very similar. So, so uh, will so there ever be another with, strain of this? Uh, yes. I mean, you know, we've It'll, had MERS and SARS, two other coronaviruses uh, over the past 20 years, uh, that just didn't quite achieve this universal infection rate. But but uh, we've had coronaviruses before. We will certainly have another coronavirus. The thing about the flu is, you know, there's always that reservoir of people who have seen these type of things before. This coronavirus, the reason they call it a novel coronavirus is we haven't seen it before. Nobody's immune system is ready. So we don't have that built-in reservoir we have with the flu. Plus, you know, we don't have the experience in vaccination that we have with the flu. The, as you said, we pick a strain of the flu or three strains or four strains of the flu, and we build a vaccine that covers those. And most of the time, that works okay. But this uh, this is going to be more difficult. I guess so. If 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 getting three or four strains results in a a, a loss of you know forty to fifty thousand people a year, by being able to target this directly, I would expect you could get less numbers than that. Right? The numbers should be smaller than that. Fair enough. I mean, I mean, obviously we can't throw a number out there and but but you you, you know just uh what do you call it just a basic statistics guess you would you would assume that that would happen i i think it would depend is that with the flu virus it's like the shotgun effect right and so with this it could be more like a sniper effect if they get it really really good get it well but we don't have the time i don't think to get it really really good so to your point we may not yeah and then the the thing they worry about, and there have been some vaccines that have done this, is that if it elicits too an, an exuberant immune response, the vaccine itself can make you sick. And, and we so we've got to make sure that since your body's never seen this before, then we think about that side of it as well. These vaccines, it's fairly simple. You show the immune system bits and pieces of the virus, and the immune system responds. But once it responds, you've got to make sure that it doesn't over-respond, and the vaccine itself makes people more sick than the, the thing you're vaccinating against. The other thing, uh, i just pass this on. This was in the AMA Journal May 18th, talking about vaccination. Um, probably, you know, we were talking about herd immunity. That is, can we get enough people who have antibodies that we can't pass this thing from one to another? They're looking at 55 to 82 percent of the population has to have these antibodies to get to herd immunity. Well, they did a survey. uh, Total looks like around 2,700 people. 
Only three in four people would get vaccinated. That's 75 percent. And only 30 percent would want to receive the vaccine soon after it becomes available. Let us test it out on let, let them test it out on somebody else. And if it looks like they're doing well, I'll pick it up later. So are you first in line? You know, I don't know. As a healthcare provider, probably. You know, I mean, we we're, we're going to be, be uh, we're going to be under a lot of pressure to take this vaccine early on before it's clear, entirely clear mm-hmm. how it's so, going to so, work. So, Tony, is this a you take it once? You think it'll last for five years, ten years? We have a no booster? idea. Absolutely no idea how long the immunity will last. And again, we'll find out as we we start. That'll be an ongoing experiment with this. And I'm not sure what the goal is. Is the goal to completely protect people to eradicate it or is the goal to slow down infection so we don't overwhelm the healthcare system good question and i do not have an answer for that but we've got time for a break yeah we've got time for a break we'll come back and talk more about this in our third and final fractional portion you're listening to health matters on moorhead state public radio support for mspr comes from the northeast kentucky area health education center located at st Clair Healthcare in moorhead the Northeast AHEC connects students to careers, professionals to communities, and communities to better health. The Northeast AHEC strives to improve the supply and distribution of healthcare professionals through community and academic educational partnerships. More information is available online at neahec.org. Hello and welcome back. This is the third and final fractional portion of Health Matters. I'm Rick Phillips. I'm Shelley Irving. I'm Dr. Tony Weaver. And this is the No Mask, No Glove, No Service show. Our salute Where was to... no dice in there? <laughs> no vaccine. <laughs> and and uh, no immediate way out of this. Uh, we are keeping you company and trying to also keep it real while we talk about COVID-19 and a few other health issues as we come along. No, that's not true. We've not talked about any other health issues. Swimming. We, this is our, that's not a health issue. Swimming. Well, it is if you're drowning. <laughs> <laughs> it may be the most important health issue you face that day. <laughs> I'll just point out. Top 10 swimming pool safety tips. Uh, this is a part Isn't of our. is really the top 11? Didn't health- you add one? I Didn't he add one? Or took one away. He or- added one at the end, his own personal one. To, he did. He did add one. To beat this virus and make it sob, avoid a mob when you're not on the job. That's right. It is time for you to get outdoors. It is time for you to go to places where other people are not as much as you can. Choose the crowd that you're with as much as you can. And if you see a large number of people that you don't know, people who are not wearing masks uh, while they're indoors, or people that are not observing distancing when they're outdoors, run away. Run away, run away. (laughs) Top 10 swimming pool safety tips for those who are trying to swim without using a public pool this summer. Number one, children need to learn to swim. Well, it's a good time to teach them. Number two, is there a lifeguard? If there's not a lifeguard, there should be a designated person watching these swimmers at all times. That person should be sober. Number three, watch your own child or children, even if there's someone else, as much as you can. Watch them yourself. Number four, check for underwater obstacles. This would be drain covers and other things in a uh, residential or other swimming pool uh, or debris, snags, logs, stumps, things like that if you are swimming in a pond, lake, or river. Number five, diving. Check to see how deep the water is. Feet first the first time. You cannot dive head first into water you do not know. And even if you were there yesterday, the current can, things can drift in, things can change. If you are swimming in a lake or a river, do not 
hit her head first the first time. Don't dive into above-ground pools. Don't dive into the shallow end. Don't dive through pool toys. Number six, put the girl's hair up. Put the girly hair up. I I don't know. How yeah, you shouldn't say, say that. This? That sounds bad. Just that sounds put, pretty bad. Put the hair up. Number seven, keep a charged phone close by at all times, preferably on the shore. Number eight, understand the basics of life-saving or have someone with you who does. Number nine, look for life-saving equipment. Make sure you have a long pole, a ring, a float, something that you can reach someone with if they get into trouble. And finally, number 10, don't mess with electrical storms. And you, is, you said don't swim around docks. You added oh, that number added 11. That. Well, yes. but it's a, that's an electrical but thing. You you, re, you put it there because <laughs> it was electrical, but it was a number 11. <laughs> that is our sponsor, Swimming Safety. Now, uh, to, to finish up on the vaccines, uh, they, uh, this is uh, epidemiologist Mark Woolhouse at the University of Edinburgh uh, in the United Kingdom. Uh, this was early April. He says uh, he is an expert. Uh, he is an epidemiologist. He says, I do not think waiting for a vaccine should be dignified with the word strategy. It is not a strategy. It is a hope. We can hope for a vaccine. But if you feel that the vaccine is going to save summer or save the football season, um, that is extremely unlikely to happen in 2020. Is that fair? If you say so. We are looking at still a year or 18 months for a safe vaccine, and then it has to be deployed, and then people have to be convinced to take it, and then we have to see if it works or not, and then we have a vaccine that may impact COVID-19. Now, I, along with that, I just had to include this one. This uh, was May 20th. Researchers at Carnegie Mellon University, they called through more than 200 million tweets. Uh, they obviously had a software that did that. These tweets discuss the uh, COVID-19 virus since January, 45% of all tweets were sent by accounts that behave more like computerized robots than humans. 45% of all the things that you would hear on Twitter about COVID-19 are probably coming from bots. They use something called a wouldn't, bot hunter tool. I bet you 45% of everything you hear on Twitter, regardless of the topic, is bots. Well, you know, I mean, we talk about the importance of, well, we need to use social media to influence people, if we're going to get people to take a vaccine, we've got to be talking with them now about the safety of the vaccine versus the safety of the virus. This virus is not at all safe. And the idea, you know, of just exposing yourself to the virus to get herd immunity uh, is not good science. It is not a safe thing to do. So uh, we need to, they said, well, we need to get command of social media so that we can get the message out. Well, not when 45% of it's coming from bots. They can simply crank it up. No matter what you say, they can easily overwhelm that. This is what they did. They flagged accounts that tweet more than is humanly possible. <laughs> That's a clue. <laughs> or they claim to be in multiple countries within a few hours period of time. Uh, they look at the followers, the frequency of tweeting, and how often the user is mentioned on the platform determining whether the tweeter is a bot account. And if they see a whole bunch of tweets at the same time or back-to-back, -back, like they're timed, then that's probably a bot. Um, they tweeted conspiracy theories about hospitals being filled with mannequins. You know, the hospitals are... There's really nobody sick from COVID-19. So why would they put a mannequin in there if they're not... Well, because you take pictures, you know, you got to, you, you know, it's in the background. Those aren't real people in those beds. That's mannequins. But, um, the, and the, of course, the whole uh, thing doesn't make sense to me. Rick, you, you know yourself, you put in those 
wireless uh, 5G towers all over UK. And we know about them. What do we know? Well, they caused COVID-19. Well, I haven't put them all over campus, but I do understand a 5G antenna. UK doesn't actually have any of them, so okay. there you go, spreading rumors. In England, dozens of wireless towers have been bot. set on He's fire. He's a bot, He's yeah, a bot. I am a bot. I've been unmasked. In England, dozens <laughs> of towers have been set on fire and acts officials believe fueled by false conspiracy theories. So the thing is, you know, when you're, you're saying, well, we're in this together, uh, we need to be kind to one another and so forth, you've got a bot that is putting out disinformation like that. It's a conspiracy. Sure, they say we need to do this together, but they're trying to control your mind, things like that. Uh, it is very difficult then to get any control of the narrative when this information is just spewing out. It well, does. They, they, they've tracked some of them back to Russia and China. Uh, this is a great time to sow discord uh, in, uh, uh, it just so happens it's an election year, yeah. so that's not helping matters. And uh, if you can increase the COVID-19 uh, infection rates and the death rates, you know that you're going to put the country in disarray. So, I, I, I believe it's bad on both sides, Tony. I mean, you're talking about how do you get a societal or a governmental-based message out to help, you know, to help the, the many, right? But as the one, I have no source of authority. I have no, I mean, it's hard to believe anything anymore. I mean, almost everything I see on Facebook, somebody puts on there and says, blah, 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 this, blah, 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 that. If you do any kind of serious fact-checking, you'll find that almost everything on there is not factually accurate. Yeah, It's skewed in one form or fashion. And so, uh, to me, I, I was telling, telling my wife the other day, I really miss the days when you could watch the news and it was boring and factual. Mm-hmm. Now it's sensationalized, and you don't know what to believe. Yeah, or you can change the channel, and you'll find a whole other set Dif- of news. Well, yeah, but it's different, and it's just as sensational. It's just in the other direction. Yeah. So getting control of that narrative, I, I just don't think that will happen. You know, I, I think agree. I think it's I think the, you know we can talk to one another, but uh, still, if we are one of the things that we've all talked about is that uh, uh, when we get on social media, there are some people who are very vitriolic on social media, much more than they would be face-to-face. Uh, and then there are people who are vitriolic when they're face-to-face, too. We've got uh, protesters out, uh, obviously, in front of the governor's mansion uh, who disagree with them, perfectly fine. Yeah, that was, and then we that have was a bad situation. And then we have who are mentally ill uh, and uh, uh, hijack these uh, demonstrations uh, for their own purposes. So... Um, I, I I am I guess I'm pessimistic. When you look at this, what well, you're thinking, oh, we'll get a vaccine. The vaccine will probably be here by the end of the year. I'm thinking, one, no, I don't think scientifically it will. And two, I think even if it were, I don't think enough people would take it, especially early on, to uh, uh, to really give us a, a big advantage. I'll have to look at it, and, and I'll uh, I'll obviously I'll try to advise the people that I take care of uh, once I see it uh, where the numbers are. But it's going to be difficult because science is moving so fast right now. People like me who just read can't keep up. Well, but is the science, and I suspect the science is moving faster than the publications will allow it to be published. Correct. Right. So, so you you read the Lancet, you read whatever it is, you know, all the journals you read. It's going to take a while for them to actually get through the editorial boards and peer review. Get yeah. well, first off, get documented. You know, actually go through and write them up. Yeah. Then get them peer reviewed then get them published, then get them disseminated. 
and then those publications are what monthly mostly yeah we're well there are you know some of the bigger ones are weekly but but your point is well taken it takes too long to be correct and accurate and so we get little hints and blips uh, of information press releases uh, a company's uh, stock just takes off because uh, they didn't have a bad experience with their first round of a medicine or a vaccine things like that and so it is hard to discern good information out there right now and that makes me you know as you said whom do you trust that makes me concerned that uh, uh, we, we need to, right now, we need to have some trust in each other in order to fight this thing. Because if it's not the vaccine, if there is not a virus killer drug out there that uh, uh, wipes this thing out, we're going to have to continue to rely on each other to maintain distance, to try to keep this virus from uh, experiencing the second wave here in Kentucky uh, and uh, uh, perhaps a restart of the first wave elsewhere. Yeah, and, and you know, Tony, I brought all that up because you started off that this was a social media thing with the bots and the you know the way we get our information. I mean, I, I don't see the whole the whole way we get our information is has changed so dramatically in the last ten to fifteen years. I can't see us going back the other direction. I you know I mean look and 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 you know not to hijack it a little bit, but I mean Moorhead just recently because of COVID lost its weekly newspaper. Right, so we're not a community big enough to have a daily paper or even a, a multi multi days per week. We we were getting basically one day a week, and that just wasn't enough. There wasn't enough, you know. And, and so now we we don't even have a local newspaper we can pick up. Right, we've got a restart. There is a there is now a Moorhead newspaper. It's thin. It's just getting started. Uh, check it out on the internet. Oh, good. Uh, I hadn't heard about that. Yeah, because I don't get the newspaper anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is hard, but uh, we felt the same as you. We felt like uh, uh, this is a very important thing for our community, and so we went ahead and subscribed, even though this thing is just starting up. So my, that's an important thing. My point is, I think I, I still believe, and maybe I'm wrong, but in a newspaper you can tell the difference between an op-ed or an op-ed piece versus a, a representation of the news. And it's written, you know the editor's name, you know the person who wrote its name, there's no hiding behind a social media. There's, I mean, to me it's it's it's... It, it, it has just a little bit more credibility than things you read on social media and those bots. We, we've lost our trust broker. Absolutely. Right. I mean, the news used to be a, our trust broker. And so now everything's political, everything's economically driven, and there's no trust broker for even even between providers and their patients. It's like something's happened to that trust. Well, the uh, if this, <laughs> Shelly, the things, the, it gets worse. The uh, Atlantic broke the story on May 20th. Uh, they got uh, com- confirmation and they published May 21st. The CDC has been mixing the uh, the uh, uh, the the nose test for the, to see if you have uh, uh, the the virus now with antibody tests and reporting an aggregate number, what? which is totally meaningless. That I is... mean, yes, we're we're getting more tests. But we don't know what those tests mean. That's not good science. That is not good at all. The Atlantic found this out. Uh, also, uh, Pennsylvania, <laughs> Texas, Georgia, and Vermont were compiling data the same way the CDC was. Uh, so, you know, if the, the CDC has really struggled, uh, I think, to maintain a voice of authority, and here, I mean, pretty much every expert that they uh, dis- they reached on this said this was, uh, uh, it is absolutely um 
it is not understandable. It's incomprehensible that the CDC would be mixing two different types of tests that mean two different things. Again, the antibody test says you have successfully negotiated the uh, COVID-19. You are now, you make antibodies. You might be immune. We're still working that out, but you might be immune. We need to be on the other side of off the air. Yeah. <laughs> Special thanks to our Morehead State Public Radio producers, Paul Hitchcock and Greg Jenkins, and Eric Bilbrey, who wrote our Health Matters theme song, and to you, our loyal radio fans. Remember to show your support for Health Matters by visiting our digital empire. To listen to the show, go to WMKY.org or visit us on Facebook. Do a search for HM Radio Show. For our radio crew and the supportive folks at the Northeast AHEC, thanks for listening to our show. And remember these top 10 tips to be healthy at Health Matters. Stay healthy at Health Matters. Only turn your radio off for essential tasks such as shopping for groceries. Avoid crowds and gatherings. If you see a large group of people listening to Health Matters, run away. Practice social distancing. Remain six feet away from your radio while listening to our show. Know when to seek care. Follow your doctor's recommendations if Health Matters makes you nauseated. Visit HM Radio Show on Facebook. Stay up to date with Health Matters recommendations. Wash radios and surfaces. Wash your radio thoroughly after our show. Apply for benefits. There may be someone who will pay you to listen to the radio. You never know. Prioritize mental health. Maybe you should just not listen to Health Matters at all. Do not travel. The safest place for you and others is in front of your radio. Try not to leave the room while the radio is on. Report noncompliance. If your neighbors are not listening to Health Matters, call the radio station immediately. Whatever you do, do not take this stuff lying down. Get out this week, make a healthy change in your life, and tune in next week for more exciting news from the world of medical research on Moorhead State Public Radio. Health Matters on MSPR comes from the Northeast Kentucky Area Health Education Center located at St. Clair Healthcare in Moorhead. Additional information on the Northeast AHEC is available online at neahec.org. WMKY is keeping you informed on COVID-19, also known as the coronavirus. Stay up to date on news and updates online at wmky.org. If you experience flu-like symptoms, call the Kentucky Coronavirus Hotline at 800-722-5725. More information from the Kentucky Cabinet for Health and Family Services online at chfs.ky.gov. Hello, this is Leanne Akers, and I'm the news director here at Moorhead State Public Radio. You're listening to 90.3 FM, WMKY, Moorhead, Kentucky.